Hi, I'm Jim White from the Southwest Church of Christ here in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, glad that you're here for our class. I want to remind you that we have two classes that we'll be uh, showing, and uh, one of them uh, that I'm doing uh, on humility, on uh, on the, uh, I think I've entitled it, uh, How to Get Your Humble Button, uh, you know, Jesus Teaching on Humility, and we're using the Sermon on the Mount for that, actually the Beatitudes. Uh, and then Brian Hofsommer's teaching a class on spiritual disciplines, and either one of those classes I would recommend to you, uh, and uh, these will will be on online by Sunday, and so each each week, uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, check on those and and see uh, if you can see them. I'm also doing something new uh, that's on our website. Uh, I'm trying to do this every Monday, but I'm trying to do a devotional, just a short four to five minute devotional, and uh, so you might want to tune in on that. Maybe kind of give your your week kind of a uh, a kick, uh, get it going. Uh, also, Caleb uh, Smith, our youth minister, writes a devotional, and uh, he does that once a week. And then Shana Thornton, our children's minister, uh, does a uh, class for kids, uh, for uh, young people's worship. For uh, We used to call it We Worship, but we can't call it that anymore, Junior Worship. And uh, it, is, it is very, very good, too. If you want to be a part of our service, uh, we have two services here. One's at 8.30 in the morning on Sundays. And uh, if, if you can't make it for that, we do uh, record that service. And you can watch that online. Or we have a 10 o'clock service. So uh, any number of ways you can keep up with what's going on uh, amid this COVID crisis. And uh, hopefully we're seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, we'll be meeting together, I hope, before too long. Uh, our shepherds are monitoring that and, and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll open things up before too long. Before any baseball game that you play, everybody gathers together at uh, home plate. Usually you'll see a... Uh, confluence of, of umpires and managers or coaches and they cover the ground rules. The ground rules are basically okay if the ball goes here then you can or can't play it or it's in play or it's not in play. If it goes over here you can do this you can do that and they make sure that everybody has all the rules lined out and of course there are rules in baseball but there are extra rules that come in into play in the, the ground rules because uh, if you play it in different uh, locations, uh, there, there's gonna be different places for, uh, for the ball to go. Um, the Beatitudes are kind of interesting. They're at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we have instructions uh, from Jesus about how to live. But I want you to notice something. Uh, there aren't any ground rules that are set up. There are no instructions. There are no commands that go on. But instead, we have this list of, of attributes, of traits that Christians are, uh, are encouraged to have. And so I, I find that very, very interesting. 
William Barclay uh, translates all of these in, into his own words. And uh, he, he translates these from the Greek, but it's also his interpretation. And he interprets this first one by saying, Oh, the bliss of the man who has relayed his own, uh, realized his own helplessness and who has put his whole trust in God. For thus alone he can render to God that perfect obedience which will make him a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I, it's interesting how he starts that. Oh, the bliss of the man. In Matthew chapter 5, in most uh, translations, uh, they, they're, they're somewhat different depending on which translation you use. But in the NIV it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Martha and I first got married, we, uh, it was kind of interesting uh, to, to go to the grocery store. Um, calculators were kind of a new thing. Uh, and so we, we had a calculator. Uh, and so we would go to the grocery store with a fixed amount of money. Uh, we knew we could only spend X number of dollars. And so we would carry that calculator around and as we put something in our cart, we would put the, the price in. At the very end, we'd hit the total. And if it was under the amount that we had budgeted, we would say to each other, you get a treat. Now, we were, we were poor, uh, but we weren't destitute. Uh, we didn't have much money, but we had some money. Um, I remember one time uh, when I went to Russia, um, I was uh, sitting with my translator, her name was Olga, and um, Olga said, Jim, and I, I have no idea where this question came from. She said, Jim, are you rich? And I, I kind of stumbled and stammered a little bit and said, no, no, I'm not rich, you know. And I tried to explain middle class and, you know, all of that kind of stuff uh, from, a, from a geopolitical standpoint. And she said, do you own a house? Yes. Do you own a car? Yes. How many? Two. Do you have a maid? I was like, no, 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 I don't have a maid. Uh, but in her eyes, I was rich. Now, we come to this, um, this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we hear that poor, and, and we, we think in terms of, of financial uh, poverty. But we're at such a loss with this, it's kind of hard to translate things like this because we have different words uh, for, for different things. And, and, and I'll use this as an example. I've used this before. We can say, oh my goodness, I love ice cream. But in the Greek language, there are a number of words for love and they can mean any variety of things. My brother, uh, one of my brothers, was a missionary uh, in France for many years, 37, 38 years. 
And, and he, one of the jobs that he had to kind of supplement his income was he served as a translator. Um, he would translate uh, Bible commentaries into the French language. And sometimes he had a hard time determining which word would be good to use. And so anytime you have a translation from one language to the next, you're going to have some difficulties. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, and it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, we take that word poor. And think about this for just a little bit. In our language, we'll say, oh, poor Bob. Now, we don't mean, oh, here's a, here's a guy who doesn't have any money. We're just kind of using that as a, as a phrase to, to indicate uh, the condition that he's in, poor Bob, uh, that we feel sorry for him. But it's kind of interesting here because we don't mean that Bob is destitute. But in this passage, in this uh, context here, uh, the word for poor, and again, in the Greek language, there are a number of, of words that could be used for poor. But in this instance, it's not like instance, it's not like my wife and I being careful with our money and having a hard time making ends meet. This is about a person who is totally destitute and helpless and unable to do anything about it. You've probably read the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And in that, it talks about this uh, man, Lazarus, who was laid by uh, this rich man's house. He couldn't even uh, get there. The, the indication is that he was lame. And, and he would beg for food. And it says the dogs would come and lick his wounds. That same word that's used there is the word we're talking about here. Poor, destitute, really can't do anything about it. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Blessings of Humility, calls it abject poverty. Complete and total poverty. And so when we think of poor here, we're not thinking of someone who just struggles a little bit and has, uh, is making ends meet, uh, having, having a hard time making ends meet. But we're talking about someone who is completely and totally uh, in abject poverty. Now we're going to look at that in a minute. But anyway, it's interesting that Jesus says, you are blessed. Now, that doesn't sound like someone who would be blessed, does it? someone who's in abject poverty. But he's not really talking about someone who is uh, homeless, someone who doesn't have any kind of money, doesn't have any kind of way to getting out. He's talking about our spiritual condition. Jesus wasn't saying blessed are the poor, but he says blessed are the destitute in spirit, in our inner being, in our self-awareness, in our spiritual condition. 
this abject poverty comes from an awareness of our own dreadfully sinful condition. It's where the Christian life must start. And it's interesting to me, and, and it has to be, this has to be at the very first. In order for us to become a follower of Jesus, we must realize from the outset, from the very beginning, our condition from sin, from the very, very beginning, we've got to understand that we are sinners, abject sinners. There are some who proclaim, uh, well, God and me make a majority. That's, that's always been kind of a, a pet peeve of mine. It, it almost sounds as if what they're saying is, you know, we're kind of teetering on the edge between good and evil, you know. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting at the fulcrum uh, looking at this side and that side. God's over here and Satan's over here. And, and I decide, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be a, a follower of God. And it makes a majority and it tips the thing. But I want to tell you something. God was a majority far before we came along. And so it's not that kind of attitude. Or it's not preachers or others who brag about, and, and I've seen this way too often, who brag about the things that they did before they became Christians. It's almost a pride. Look at what I did and, and oh yeah, well, by the way, I now live a Christian life. Instead, those that live that kind of life should be completely and totally ashamed, wouldn't you think? Totally ashamed of the way they used to live. As I said, in Luke 18, um, Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Let me see here. There's, a, there's a, a parable here that Jesus tells. He says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God be merciful to me a sinner. I forget which one I read but in one of the books that I read it was talking about uh, the construct of the Greek language there. And evidently, there's no article there. 
we put it in there to make it more readable. Be merciful to me, a sinner. But I understand it's not there. God, be merciful to me, sinner. Paul even uh, referred to himself as the chief sinner. And, and so you look at passages like this and you realize that, that our condition without Jesus is totally and completely helpless. And so we need to understand that there is or there can be no pride in really who we are. God, you're lucky to have me. And what we tend to do is exactly what this Pharisee did. And that is, yeah, compared to this guy, no, we can never do that. If you want to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's a, there's a story that, that uh, oh, I think we all know. Um, it says, in the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth, the whole earth, is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I remember one time being in Atlanta for a Promise Keepers uh, convention, and I think it was Chuck Swindoll uh, was there. I, well, we had, I think, 15,000 men there. And we were in the, the Georgia Dome, which is not even there anymore, but... Um, he said, let's just split this right down the middle. He said, this aisle, the center aisle, everybody over here, and everybody over here. And what he said, I want you to do is this side yell out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then I want this side yell, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and it, was, it was in one sense kind of frightening to hear the loud, loud voices. You can imagine the angelic beings doing this. Well, this is the setting of what Isaiah is looking at right here. And he says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we come into the presence of God, we realize, we realize the condition that we're in. Maybe this is a terrible example, but uh, I've used this before in sermons and I'll use it now. I, I used to play a little basketball, um, played, played a little bit of college ball, played a lot of high school ball. Uh, thought I was pretty good. I've seen some video since, since I've gotten older uh, of some, some uh, games that I played, and I was really pretty bad. But can you imagine if I went around bragging about how good I was? And, and if I were to 
to be in the shape that I was in then and shoot the ball like I could then. And, and uh, in fact, <laughs> I got to tell you this, this is kind of a side story. I was shooting a basketball at camp one time and the kid was sitting there watching me and he said, you used to be pretty good, didn't you? <laughs> I said, what do you mean used to be? But can you imagine if I was shooting a basketball and thinking I was pretty good and LeBron James walked in, Michael Jordan, somebody like that. Somebody who was really good and say, hey, let's play. I, there's no way I could hold a candle to, the, the, to that person. When we compare ourselves to the purity and the majesty of Jesus, we realize the condition that we're in. It's knowing who we are and what our condition is. There's a song I love. Uh, I, I love to sing it. I love to lead it. But I think it, it, uh, it indicates, it shows exactly what I'm talking about here. It's a song called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. If you watch my uh, devotional, I told a story. This was the devotional that I put on Monday. I told a story of I was sitting in a parking lot recently and, and this car drove up and, and I thought, what in the world? It looked like an old jalopy. I mean, I mean, it was a fairly new car. Not real new, but a fairly new car. And it was just, it was just terrible. Different colors and, and it just looked awful. And a lady got out, she kind of looked kind of tacky, I thought. She went to her trunk and she pulled out a, uh, a can of paint. She went over to the window of a business that I was parked in front of and started painting. She was painting a snowman, I guess, for the season. But as I looked a little bit closer to her car, I noticed that what it was wasn't, uh, it wasn't that it was beat up. It was that there were all kinds of colors of paint. It was almost as if she had used that car as a palette, maybe testing out the color. What's this color look like? And she had put it all over the car. And the thought came to me, that car has not always been that way. In fact, at some point, it had no paint on it. You know what I mean. And I wonder if she accidentally bumped into it, if she, you know, I, I, I thought about that. And I wondered how she felt. Did she think, oh my goodness, I just, I just put paint on this car. Oh, well, now that I've got paint on the car, I'll just use it for a palette. Sometimes that's the way I think our sin is. We become a follower of Jesus, and then we sin. 
and we realize what we've done and 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 we hurt we ache because of the the sin that we have and because our sin put jesus on the cross but pretty soon what happens is we sin enough that it doesn't bother us anymore it becomes a part of our life king david one time in the 51st psalm he said my sin is ever before me he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and it was just weighing heavily on him and so it's very similar to what we were talking about with what happens when she first put paint on that car but God doesn't want us to stay like that he doesn't want us to to live in that condition he wants us to have life John 10 10 says I came that they may have life and have it in abundance but it's not because of what we have done it is only because of what God has done if you look in chapter 17 of Luke I want us to, to look at something here Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, this is starting in verse 6. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this, this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes uh, in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, listen to what he says here, should say, we are unworthy servants and we have only done our duty i don't think jesus is being hard on sinners necessarily there i just think he's being realistic in the way that we should react to our sin that we know who we are and why we are the way we are once again jerry bridges says poverty poverty of spirit has to do primarily with our increasing awareness of our ongoing struggle our ongoing struggle with sin and our frequent failures i've already said this uh, we tend to minimize our own sins and maximize the sins of others uh, well i'm not as bad as he is very much like the pharisee to the tax collector but as I said, we don't need to compare ourselves to other people. Let's leave other people out of that mix and compare ourselves only to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, and before we even talk about that, think about the Apostle Paul and the things that he accomplished. In fact, he, he goes through a whole litany of things of things that he did i am 
I am this, I am that, I've been in the deep, I've been beaten, I've been stoned and left for dead. I mean, he goes through all of this kind of stuff. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, he says, I am the least of the apostles. In Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, this time verses 7 and 8. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul didn't take himself too seriously. In fact, he realized exactly who he was utterly and completely dependent on God. Now, this is not an attitude that's very popular in our culture. We don't want to be reliant on anybody. We, want, we don't want to depend on anybody because to us, that shows weakness. Paul even says, when I am weak, then I am strong. But that's really what Jesus says here to be poor in spirit. Is it a stretch to see our spiritual condition as we have talked about? I don't think so. In fact, as I've mentioned already, there are a number of words that could have been used as poor. But the word that was selected here was destitute. I've already mentioned the rich man of Lazarus. And that is the indication that we have. And at the end of this passage, blessed are the poor in spirit. Once we realize that, once we realize who we are, he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think about that for just a minute. There's a, there's a story that was written called The Prince and the Pauper where uh, a prince and a very, very poor young man switch places. In essence, that's what Jesus says. Those who are poor in spirit, those who realize their spiritual, uh, their, their spiritual uh, poverty, the fact that they're completely destitute, but it's only because of God, only because of Jesus, that they become spiritual beings. And he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You go from poor to rich. One time the apostles came to Jesus and, and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And of course, uh, what, what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, I, I would prefer to call it the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he says, thy kingdom come. I remember my dad says, oh, we used to say that in first grade, you know, public school. That was one of the things we did first thing in the morning was to recite the Lord's Prayer. You can't do that anymore. But my dad used to say, don't say thy kingdom come. Say thy kingdom has come. 
But I think in this context, what he's saying is, is may your reign be over all the world and particularly in my life. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be destitute spiritually. Not that you want to be, but you realize that you are. I am spiritually destitute so that Jesus can reign in his kingdom, so that he can reign in my life. Now, this is where it starts. This is where uh, life in the kingdom starts. And Jesus begins, in fact, uh, the Beatitudes are almost like a set of stairs building up to a climax and then coming down on the other side. But you've got to start here as remembering what condition you really are in. That's where Jesus begins and that's where life in the kingdom begins. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a good day.